1: Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 20, 21 and 22 of Insurgent. Where we left off, it feels like not a lot happened, but essentially Janine is about to send a representative to have a chat with Jack Kang and Tris thought logically, about why the erudite were shooting people up with simulation serums and she's got some sort of fucking theory. And so they're gonna go and send people to eavesdrop on the meeting between Jack and Janine or Janine's representative. And they're making this whole big thing about it, like we're gonna eavesdrop like it's the most dastardly plan when really you're just listening in on a conversation. There's not really a lot of espionage there. You're just overhearing some words between two people. That's what's happening. So we start chapter 20 and she's checking her watch. She can't wait until the next morning. She says, it's seven o'clock in the evening. We've just got 12 hours until we can hear what Janine has to say to Jack Kang, until they can eavesdrop. And she says, I've been checking my watch constantly for the past hour. She just can't wait to go and drop some Eve. So she says she's just hanging in the cafeteria with Lynn, classic Lynn, Tobias, Lauren, all our favorite characters. And she's staring across the room at Christina. Things are still super awkward between them because she killed her boyfriend. And the way Tris tells it, she's like resentful of Christina. Like, yet what reaction did you expect her to have? And Tris isn't contributing to the conversation. Lynn and Lauren, they're just having dinner. And Lynn starts putting mashed potatoes onto a bread roll and Tris, she finally pipes up and she's like, uh, don't tell me you're going to eat a mashed potato sandwich. And Lynn's like, yeah, so what if I am? And I agree, Lynn. Why is Tris jumping down your throat? Because you like carbs. What's the judgment about a mashed potato sandwich? I mean, I've never had mashed potato on a bread roll before. I mean, well, actually, I guess I have at KFC. I don't go to KFC anymore because I'm a vegetarian, but when I did used to go, I'd be like, pass me one of those bread rolls and pass me those mashed potatoes and I'm smushing the two together. And is that that ridiculous? Like, what does she think a chip sandwich is anyway? That's potato in bread. Does she care about that? Why do you care about that, Tris? She's never cared about nutrition before. And like, if she was friends with Lynn, I can imagine there's some like jovial ribbing, but I don't even think her and Lynn are that close and she's not even contributing to the conversation. And then she's picking on Lynn for putting mashed potatoes in bread. It's not okay. Stop judging people, Tris, you judgmental bitch. So then a group of Dauntless, she doesn't know them. They're older than Tobias and her. They walk over and they start whispering to Tobias saying, coward. And Tobias, he's paused mid putting a glob of butter on his bread. What is her obsession with people eating bread? To call it a glob of butter implies that she thinks it's too much butter. Let him use as much butter as he wants, Tris. Anyway, he's being called a coward and it's tense. So I don't really know why they think Tobias is a coward. She thinks it's because he revealed that he was afraid of his dad abusing him. And that was one of his fears. And it's like, yeah, the Dauntless acknowledge that fear exists, right? That's the whole point of the fear simulation and everything. And the fact that four only had four fears was kind of a big fucking deal. But now all of a sudden he's a coward because he revealed that he is afraid of his dad. He also just overcame a simulation through sheer will. He helped shut down Erudite's plan. He ran around to Amity. He's escaped people. He's tapped into the Factionless to try and recruit an army. I don't think he's much of a coward. They're all just focusing on the fact that he's afraid of his dad, as he has every right to be. But Tobias says this needs to stop and he gets up and starts walking across the cafeteria and Trissa's is thinking, oh, what's he gonna get up to? And he goes right up to Marcus and he shoves him. He punches him hard in the teeth. And then when Marcus hits the ground, he presses the heel of his shoe to Marcus's throat. And then Tobias undoes his belt. And then he says to Marcus, this is for your own good. And he slaps him with the belt. And Tris fills us in. She breaks that down for us. She says, ah, that's what I remember Marcus and his many manifestations always said to Tobias in his fear landscape. Oh, thank you, Tris. I would never have clocked that on my own that this is some sort of reference to the abuse (laughs) that he suffered at Marcus's hand. Would never have figured that out. So then he just starts whipping Marcus with the belt and all around them, the Dauntless are laughing. They think it's hilarious. And so she finally gets up and she's like, stop to buy a stop. And she grabs him by the shoulder and he looks at her and she's expecting to see this like wild look in his eyes, but she doesn't see that. She's like, oh, this was a calculated move. He was planning this. So then four takes out from his pocket a silver chain with a ring on it and he throws it down to Marcus's face. And he says, my mother says hello, which is a nice little like the Lannisters send their regards type line being like, hey, guess what? Your dead wife's not dead. Surprise. But she also tells us that the ring is made of tarnished dull metal, an abnegation wedding band. And oh my God. Abnegation just keeps getting worse and worse. Their wedding bands are made out of tarnished dull metal. These fuckers can't catch a break. What? They are the worst faction. They can't even have one nice thing. Oh, it's too selfish. use up all the silver and the gold in Chicago. We must save our reserves of fancy wedding rings for other factions. Like you're taking it too far, abnegation. What's the point of having a wedding band at all? Just have nothing then. A tarnished dull metal. Gosh, you wouldn't catch me transferring to abnegation. No bloody way. So then Tobias walks off. Marcus is cringing on the floor and she chases down to him and he goes to the elevator bay. They're always having DNMs in the elevator. And she says, what was that? And he says, oh, it's necessary. And she's like, necessary for what? And he says, whoa, you're feeling sorry for him now? Do you know how many times he did that to me? How do you think I learned the moves? Yeah, we know, we know. Tris filled us in. And Tris narrates, it did seem rehearsed, like Tobias had gone over the steps in his mind, recited the words in front of a mirror which is an odd expression for someone who grew up without a mirror to use. I feel like mirrors shouldn't be in the forefront of Triss's mind, knowing her backstory, but here she is using a figure of speech about a mirror. Okay. And Triss is like, well, actually, I don't feel sorry for him. And he says, well, then what, Triss? You haven't cared about what I do or say for the past week. What's so different about this? So it's been a week. Okay. We're getting some awareness of the timeline here. This is good. It all seems pretty understandable, but Triss is trying to have some deeper meaning into what's going on. She says, I don't know what to say or do about this erratic part of him. It's bubbling beneath the surface, just like the cruel part of me. We both have war inside of us. Sometimes it keeps us alive. Sometimes it threatens to destroy us. You also have a war going on around you, so maybe focus on that. So then the elevator arrives, Four gets in it, and then Triss is left waiting at the elevator bay. She doesn't go with him wherever he's going. Who knows where he's going? And she's thinking about why he beat Marcus up. She can't figure it out. She says, why would he beat Marcus up publicly where all the Dauntless could see? To salvage his pride? It can't be. It was far too intentional for that. So she starts thinking logically, like an erudite. I don't think she's considering the inciting incident, which is the Dauntless walking up to Tobias and calling him a coward. She's just forgot all about that. And now she's like, why? Why would he fight Marcus unprovoked like that? What could have possibly brought that on? Like cast your mind back 30 seconds, Tris. So on her way back to the cafeteria, cause she's got nothing else to do. She just hangs out at the cafeteria all the time. She sees Marcus get ferried into the bathroom by some candor person and he's all hunched over and looking sore. And so she's like, you know what? I'm going to go and confront him again. She loves confronting Marcus. So she walks into the bathroom when he's there by himself because the candy guy leaves to get, I don't know, bandages or some shit. And he's like, oh God, Tris, what do you here A gloat or something? Get out of here. Get out of the boys' bathroom, Tris. And she says, well, I thought you could use a reminder. Whatever it is you want to get from Janine, you won't be able to do it alone. And you won't be able to do it with only the abnegation to help you. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, this again. Because remember they had this like same conversation back at Emity. He's like, oh, God. <sighs> how do you think you could help Tris? And she says, I don't know where you get this delusion that I'm useless, but that's what it is. And I'm not interested in hearing about it. All I wanna say is that when you stop being delusional and start feeling desperate because you're too inept to figure this out on your own, you know who to come to. Well, she's really laying down the facts to him, isn't she? They're not the best reads. Like she did call him delusional twice in the same sentence, which it loses impact the second time. I don't know, if she had like a punchier insult, it probably would have been more effective than just being like, you're desperate and inept. She needs to start watching Drag Race and learning how to really read a bitch. So then she leaves the bathroom. That's the end of that chapter. We go to chapter 21 and she's, in the, she's now back in a bathroom. She's in the women's bathroom and she's holding a gun. She says, Lynn put it in my palm a few minutes ago. She seemed confused that I did not wrap my hand around it and put it somewhere like in a holster or under the waistband of my jeans. I just let it stay there and walk to the bathroom before I started to panic. So, okay, let's just picture this. So Lynn goes up to Tris like in the cafeteria and she says, hey Tris, here's a gun for when we go and eavesdrop on Janine. So she's given this gun, she's letting it lie flat in her palm and then she just gets up out of the seat and walks towards the bathroom I assume she's operating bathroom doors with her other hand, just balancing the gun on her palm like it's a plate of cookies or something. Was she not getting weird looks from like the candor? And now she's standing before the sinks, dramatically looking in the mirror. You know, she loves the mirror now. And she's just staring at this gun lying flat on her hand. I think she would have gotten a few weird looks. You can't just walk around with a gun in your hand like that. So then she's freaking out. She's freaking out because she hasn't held a gun since she shot Will, blah, blah, blah. So she starts to see how it feels. She curls her pinky around the handle, then her second finger, and then her third finger, and then her fourth finger, thrilling stuff. She says, my index finger slips around the trigger. I release a breath, I start to lift it. She's really just spelling out that she's now holding a gun. And she thinks about all the good things she's done with guns before. She says, it's not inherently evil. It's just a tool. Oof, dangerous argument to make. And then she's looking in the mirror. You know, she loves a mirror. And she's thinking, this is how I looked to him. This is how I looked when I shot him. And then she's like, ah, and she lets the gun fall from her hands, just clattering on the bathroom floor. I hope the safety was on. And then she's crouching in the bathroom, just staring at the tiles, just really full PTSDing, And the Tobias walks into the bathroom, the women's bathroom. He's just like letting himself in. I don't know if that's okay. I don't know if that's okay. I went to uh, the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras on the weekend and it was wonderful, wonderful night. And all of the bathrooms were non-gender specific for the night. And it was great. It was very liberating. Although there were some confused people. I remember being in the bathroom in the cubicle. And then I heard a girl go, ah, what are you doing here? Not at me specifically, but like at someone else, she must've saw someone at the sink, like a boy. And she was like, ah. And then later in the night, my sister went into the to what she thought was the women's toilet and I just followed her in. And she was like, "Ah, uh, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, I gotta pay And she was like, what? And I said, they're non-gender specific, love. And she's like, okay, this feels weird. And I was like, what? we used to use the same toilet for like the first 23 years of our lives. Like what? Now you're now you're shy peeing in the cubicle next to me. I don't understand it. Anyway, so uh, the, the bathrooms in this book are not gender neutral because she's specified that it's a women's bathroom, but Tobias, he's just waltzing right on in. Surprise! And straight away, he's talking business. He says, Zeke and Uriah told me you were going to eavesdrop on Jack. They just keep saying eavesdrop like it's not an inherently silly word. And he says, are you really doing that? And she says, why should I tell you? You don't tell me about your plans. And he's like, what plans? And she says, "Uh, I'm talking about beating Marcus to a pulp in front of all the dauntless for no apparent reason. (laughs) Then she says, but there is a reason, isn't there? Because you didn't lose control it's not like he did something to provoke you. There has to be a reason. She's using her erudite brain. And then he says, I needed to prove to the Dauntless that I am not a coward. That's it. That's all it was. (laughs) Because he had just been called a coward. And then she starts to think out loud. She says, why would you need to? And then she trails off and she says, why would Tobias need to prove himself to the Dauntless? Only if he wanted them to hold him in high regard. Only if he wanted to become a Dauntless leader, she's putting everything together. She's thinking logically. And she's remembering how his mum said that she was suggesting that he become important. And she thinks that he thinks the only way to make an alliance with the factionless is to tell the Dauntless to do so, being in a Dauntless leadership position. So while she's having this brainwave, He's like, so are you going to eavesdrop or not? You're throwing yourself into danger for no reason. Just like when you picked a fight with a pocket knife. And she says, there is a reason, a good one. We won't know what's going on unless we eavesdrop and we need to know what's going on. Stop saying eavesdrop. And then out of nowhere, we get a description of four. She says, he crosses his arms. He's not bulky the way some Dauntless boys are. And some girls might focus on the way his ears stick out or the way his nose hooks at the end. And then she trails off, but I'm like, why are we now body shaming for? Saying that his nose is too big and his ears stick out of his head. She's done that before, I believe. She's been bringing up his bad physical characteristics. She's a pretty shit girlfriend, let's just say that. And then she says to him, you're not cutting your hair like the abnegation anymore. That's because you wanna look more like a dauntless, right? Cutting the hair, it's been a week, hasn't it? She just told us it's been a week. It's been a week since they left Dauntless and all of a sudden he started cutting his hair like an abnegation. Now he's cutting his hair like a Dauntless. How many haircuts can you have in a week? And then Four says, there are four people going to eavesdrop already. You don't need to be there. Yeah, that's a lot of people to eavesdrop. And yeah, we're just gonna keep on saying eavesdrop. And he says, as long as you can't pick up a gun, you should sit back and let other people take the risks. You seem like someone who doesn't seem to value her own life. And she's like, huh, wonder what that means. I don't seem to value my own life. And she's like, well, what are you gonna do? Lock me in the bathroom? Because I'm going, I'm going to eavesdrop. And he says, well, I don't wanna stop you. I want you to stop yourself. But if you're going to be reckless, you can't prevent me from coming along. So now we have six people going to eavesdrop. And so we cut to, they're finally going to the eavesdrop. Does anyone else just feel like we just had like two whole chapters of them talking about eavesdropping and never actually eavesdropping. And now they're finally going to go and eavesdrop. There's been more build up to this eavesdrop than there was for like the choosing ceremony. So they're going out into the city. They're going to some sort of bridge. She says Uriah and Zeke are in buildings on either side of the bridge to get a better vantage point. And then Lynn and Shauna are also with them at the bridge. And she says the bridge is supported by a maze of narrow girders beneath its lower tier. So she's just like climbing the girders. I don't know. She's trying to make out like they're so inconspicuous, but I think they'd stick out like a sore thumb, right? Like we're always hearing about how smart Janine is. She's not gonna go and send someone half an hour before the meeting just to scope out if the bridge is bugged or filled with spies who are looking to eavesdrop. Why could they not have just bugged it instead? Do we not have that technology? We've got a lot of technology in these books, but we don't seem to have like walkie talkies. So she says they're walking along these girders. She's squeezing along girders. Tobias is hopping along girders. She's saying the word girders a lot, and that's a lot considering I don't know what a girder is. And so now that they're parked under these girders, they're just waiting for the meetup to happen above them. I guess they're, they're, they're beneath the bridge. And she's looking at Shauna and Lynn and how they're communicating non-verbally because they're sisters. And then she starts to think about what it would have been like if she had a sister. And I'm like, hello, you have a brother. Did you forget about him? And then she says, the city is so quiet that the footsteps above them echo. And she says, the sound comes from behind them. So that must mean that it's Jack and his dauntless escort. So Jack's already going to this meeting with a dauntless escort. Why could you not have just asked the dauntless escort to explain what happened? Why do you need to eavesdrop? Maybe you could have inserted one of your team as the dauntless escort for Jack. They're overcomplicating things, surely. And if you're thinking, oh, this dauntless escort must not be in on it. Well, guess what they are. She says, the dauntless know that we are here though Jack Kang himself does not. So if the dawnless are in on it, why don't you just get him to tell you what happened? And then she's worried because if Jack just stares down for more than a few seconds through the metal mesh beneath his feet, then he might see them (laughs) or hear you guys. And then at seven o'clock, she hears more feet coming and it's, Max, he says, hello, Jack. And she says, oh, that's Max. He's that guy who appointed Eric to dauntless leadership at Janine's command, who implemented policies of cruelty and brutality and dauntless initiation. Thanks for the reminder. That was a seamless reintroduction of a character, wasn't it? (laughs) She says, I've never spoken to him directly, but the sound of his voice makes me shiver. So she recognizes his voice, even though they've never really spoken. Okay. And Jack's like, uh, where's Janine? And Max says, Janine and I divide responsibilities according to our strengths. That means I make all military decisions. I believe that includes what we are doing today. And she frowns. She says, "Mm, that doesn't sound right. She says, I haven't heard Max speak much. She had just admitted that she has never spoken to him directly, but okay, she's never heard him speak much. But something about the words he's using and their rhythm sounds off. So I don't know if she's hinting that Max might be under some sort of simulation himself, controlled by Janine, perhaps. I think that's what she's getting at. And then Max is like, well, sorry if you think we're negotiating. We can't negotiate because you're not on an even footing, because you are the only disposable faction. Kandar does not provide us with protection, sustenance, or technological innovation, so you're expendable to us. And yeah, we don't really, we don't really care for you guys you're completely vulnerable and completely useless. So therefore I recommend that you do exactly as I say. And then Jack's like, Oh God, you're a piece of shit. How dare you? And then Max says, let's not get testy. And she thinks that's very unlike Max, someone I've never spoken to directly. He sounds like he's speaking not very naturally. He wouldn't use the word testy. No self-respecting dauntless man would say the word testy he's speaking like someone else. He's speaking like Janine. She's spelling it out for us. She really loves to hammer a point home, this Veronica Roth, doesn't she? And that's when Tris thinks logically. She thinks like an erudite and she realizes, oh, it makes perfect sense. Janine would not trust anyone, particularly not a volatile dauntless, to speak on her behalf. The best solution to that problem is to give Max an earpiece. Oh God. And the signal from an earpiece can stretch only a quarter of a mile at most. Okay, thank you for that tip. So first of all, earpieces do exist. I don't know why we couldn't have just popped an earpiece into the Dauntless Escort. I don't know why we needed to be under the bridge, but I digress. Um, And also she's, she's assumed that he's got an earpiece in because he used the word testy. Like, okay, but like, even if he has an earpiece in, he could have just chosen not to say the word testy. And so she's ruled out the idea that he might be under a simulation. I feel like she's leaping to conclusions here. She says, oh, well, he used the word testy. So obviously he's speaking Janine's words through through an earpiece. And because an earpiece signal can only stretch a quarter of a mile, she must be around. That's what she's thinking, which is so fucking dumb. (laughs) So dumb. But of course it ends up being the case because this book is dumb. And so then Max says, I have three requirements. First, you return the Dauntless Leader you have in captivity. Second, you allow your compound to be searched by soldiers so we can extract the divergent. And third, that you provide us with the names of those who are not injected with the simulation serum. So he's just outright calling it a simulation serum. I thought we were going to keep that secret. (laughs) Remember? Because Jack was like, What, this blue ink in all our arms? That's not simulation serum, that's ridiculous. You can't shoot a simulation serum at someone and have long range transmitters, that's ridiculous. And there is Max, he's just like, yeah, it's a simulation serum, cat's out of the bag. And Janine, this is why you don't send Max, because he fucks up. And Jack says, well, why do you wanna search the compound? And he's like, uh, to find the divergent, like I just told you that, Jack. And Jack's not liking his tone. So Jack like leans forward and like grabs him, And Max says, release me or I'll order my guards to fire. And Tris is like, wait a minute. How does Janine know that he was grabbed? If she really is speaking through Max, then she has to be able to see him to know that he's being grabbed. what, you already told me that she can only be a quarter of a mile away at most. And if that is the case, she's probably gonna be somewhere within range, I guess. But it seems like you're leaping to another conclusion, which does seem obvious, but I, I, I'm, I'm getting confused thinking about how confusing this should be. Anyway, so now she's like, Janine must be here somewhere. And so she just looks around her and she sees a building, a squat glass building standing near the edge of the old riverbank. And she says, that must be where she is. What? Why? Why did you come to that conclusion? How? How? There's all these buildings, all these buildings. It's Chicago. It's Chicago. And you know what? It's not that much of a rubble city. I know she says there's buildings that are in disrepute, but we've also got the Hancock building with a working elevator and we've got a Ferris wheel that hasn't fallen down. Like, okay, it's not... An apocalyptic scenario. There's still a lot of buildings around and she's just scanning around the bridge and she says, there it is, glass building. That must be it. A lot of buildings are made with glass, Tris. A lot of them have windows or have cavities where windows used to be because they don't know how to fix windows. Why would you just assume Janine is over in that building? She could be under the bridge for all you know, because that's apparently a great hiding spot. And so she like non-verbally communicates to to Tobias, even though they're not sisters, She communicates to him being like, oh, I think Janine's over in that building. And Tobias is like, okay, well, let's go check it out. Let's just stop dropping Eve. So they go to like, I don't know, navigate the girders back to land to get to the bridge. But Lynn, she goes rogue and she climbs towards the edge of the bridge. And then I guess swings herself over the bridge, jumps on top of the bridge, and then she's got a gun. And I think she shoots Max. So then there's a bit of pandemonium. She just starts running through the riverbed to get to this glass building where Janine must be. Must be. There's no other explanation for where she would be. Even though she's already told us Uriah and Zeke are also in buildings for a vantage point and they picked different buildings. I don't know why they passed up this glass building because it's the optimal building to hide out in when you were to look at the bridge. Apparently they didn't. So, oh, that's so stupid. And so she starts running for the building. And she thinks, I can run back to Canda headquarters and to temporary safety, or I can find Janine in what is probably the most vulnerable state she will ever be in. How are you so certain of this? And she says, oh, it's not even a choice. And so she's running for the building and Tobias is following her. Apparently Jack's safe. The dauntless escort has kept Jack safe. The glass building's in her sights. And then she hears more footsteps, more gunshots and she's ducking and she's weaving. And she's running towards the glass building. And then before she gets there, she sees movement in the alley to her right and she swerves to follow it. And there's three figures down the alley. One is blonde, one is tall, and one is Peter. So I guess Peter's short because he can't be tall as well because only one of them is tall. Anyway, she's like, Peter that's you, right? You, oh, you're such a traitor, Peter. I knew it because he's standing with Janine. Meanwhile, they're in an alley nowhere near the fucking glass building from the sounds of it. So she wasn't in the glass building. She just found Janine by happenstance. God, this is a ridiculous book. And so she's like, oh, Peter, you're such a traitor. I knew it. I knew you'd go back to the erudite. What? Didn't we all know that? Didn't we all clock that back when we were leaving the Amity farm? She's calling him a traitor. He was already working with the Erudite back in like th- the uprising at the end of Divergent. Well, <laughs> So Janine and the tall person, <laughs> they run around the corner. So it's just Peter left. And she's about to like run after Peter, but Tobias holds her back. And Peter's like, oh, sounds like your friend needs you because they hear an anguished and female scream pierce the air. And so Peter's like, you have a choice. You can let us go and help them or you can die trying to follow us. And Triss is like, ah, oh, damn it. She says, I hope you die. And then she <laughs> she turns away and she runs towards the scream. This is what I'm saying. Tris needs lessons in how to deliver a good comeback. I hope you die. Like that's the floppiest of flop comebacks. That's what you'd say in primary school when someone used to make fun of you. Oh, I hope you die. Like that's weak sauce. Anyway, all that running to the glass building. Turns out she wasn't in the glass building. Then you find her accidentally. and And then you give up on her because someone's screaming. Who cares if Shauna or whoever has been shot, what are you going to do about it? And so that was the end of the chapter. We go to chapter 22 and guess what? Shauna has been shot. (laughs) She says, Shauna lies on the ground, face down, blood pooling on her shirt. Okay. Face down. Can we not turn her over? Lynn's crouching down next to her. She says, doing nothing. And I'm like, turn the bitch over. How do we know she's dead? She might not be dead. And Lynn's like, oh, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have shot that guy, Max. I shouldn't have done it. Well, no, you probably shouldn't have. So then Tobias, he activates and he's like, all right, well, let's um maybe get Shauna out of here. Like, let's get her to some medical attention. So they scoop up Shauna and she's moaning. So she's still alive. How about that? And she says, together, we walk towards the Merciless Mart. She's committed to referring to it as the Merciless Mart, the most uncatchy of building names I've ever heard. So then Uriah's rocking up and he's like, oh no, Shauna. And Tobias is like, now's not the time. Run back to the Merciless Mart and get a doctor. How is Tobias saying that with a straight face? Run back to the Merciless Mart. And Uriah's in shock and Tobias is like, Uriah, go now. And then Uriah finally turns and sprints in the direction of the Merciless Mart. So then they get to the Merciless Mart. They're met by Uriah and an erudite man with a comb over. An erudite, what's he doing there? I guess, oh, who cares? An erudite man with a, why has he got a comb over? What an, an odd detail to give us. Shauna's dying out. She's bleeding all over Chicago. And here Veronica is just making sure we know that this erudite guy has a comb over. Wow. Well, what an interesting description. So anyway, this guy with the comb over, he must be a doctor. So he just starts working on Shauna. Just, and the lobby floor, they couldn't have brought her up to like an actual first aid room or like a little hospital wing. They're just doing it right on the lobby floor. And so then Tobias, he turns on Tris and he's like, I'm fucking over it, doll. He says, I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on with you, but if you senselessly risk your life again, and she says, I'm not senselessly risking my life. I'm trying to make sacrifices like my parents would have. So she's actively wanting to sacrifice herself and she doesn't see why that's a problem. (laughs) And he's like, Ah, uh, you're not your parents. You're a 16 year old girl who doesn't understand that the value of a sacrifice lies in its necessity, not in throwing your life away. And if you do that again, you and I are done. So he's pretty much saying, if you sacrifice yourself again, you and I are done. Dude, she'll be dead. That's how that works. If she sacrifices herself, she'll be dead. She's not gonna be worried that you're gonna break up with her. And Triss is like, what? You're giving me an ultimatum? Either I give up sacrificing myself or I give up you. Like, well, what? You can only sacrifice yourself once, Tris. I don't, I don't know why she thinks she could just make a habit of this. And he says, I'm just telling you a fact. If you throw yourself into danger for no reason again, you will have become nothing more than a dauntless adrenaline junkie. He says, I love Tris the Divergent, (laughs) who's just really out and proud with the Divergent status now. I love Tris the Divergent, who makes decisions apart from faction loyalty who isn't some faction archetype, but the Triss who's trying as hard as she can to destroy herself. I can't love her. I love her always like, oh, you don't define yourself by factions. And yet that is consistently what she has done for the past book and a half. She's always like, am I a dauntless? Am I an abnegation? Am I selfish or am I brave? Am I brave or am I selfish? And now she's like, oh, or am I an erudite? Because I seem to be able to think independently. And she's always describing herself and defining herself through a faction archetype. I don't know how four doesn't realize that, but whatever, I get his point. And she can sort of get the point too. And he says, I believe you're still in there, come back. And then he kisses her and she's like too shocked to stop him. And then she's just standing in the lobby at a loss. And then we cut to, it's a little while later and she's sitting with Tori. Tori's sitting on a bed, leg propped up on a stack of pillows. And Tori says, it's been a while. Has it? It's been a week. Hasn't it been like a week since the erudite attack? Didn't we just establish that? And now Tori's sitting there being like, oh, it's been a while, Tris. No, it hasn't. It's been seven days. If that, maybe, maybe a bit more, maybe a week and a half, but it really has not been that long. It's not been a fortnight, I'll tell you that. And Tris says, yeah, Tori, it has been. (laughs) Has it? And she says, how are you feeling? And Tori, she's a bloody bundle of laughs, isn't she? She goes, feels like I got shot. Hilarious, Tori, hilarious. And Tori says, did you discover anything interesting at Jack's meeting? Well, maybe we should have popped an earpiece in Tori so she could have heard it all as well. And Tris is like, yeah, it was a bit interesting. Do you know how we might go about calling a Dauntless meeting? And Tori's like, I can make it happen. One thing about being a tattoo artist in Dauntless is you pretty much know everyone. Okay, we've got this character who has a side hustle as a tattoo artist in Dauntless. And apparently because of that, she knows everyone. Even though, are the factions even that big, really? What are we talking about? 200 people? 200 people, perhaps? I don't know. But she's like, oh, I know everyone. Oh, I can gather everyone because I know them, because I tattooed them. You, it's not that hard. You're all hanging out in candor in the same dorm. Don't you all have like your own little floor of candor that you've taken over? Just like go up there and say, oh, hey, everyone. Everyone making a big Dauntless announcement. Let's have a meeting. You don't, you don't need a personal knowledge of their tattoos. You don't need a Rolodex of all their names. What, uh, of course I can call a meeting. Oh, I know everyone because I've tattooed them. <laughs> uh, okay. You could also just write up on a whiteboard. Hey, Dauntless, let's meet at 5 p.m. Like what? And Tris, she's indulging, Tori. She's like, yeah, you also have the prestige of being a former spy. And she says, by the way, did you discover anything interesting as you were a spy? As she was a spy for all of five days. And Tori says, my mission was primarily focused on Janine. Who gave you this mission? Did you give yourself this mission? Where where did this come from? My mission was focused on Janine, how she spends her days and more importantly, where she spends them. How is that more important? Well, she tells us, she says, well, I guess I can trust you, Tris, because you're divergent. Yeah, that's how it works. Tori says she has a private laboratory on the top level. Insane security measures protecting it. I was trying to get up there when they figured out what I was. Yep, okay, so she has a private laboratory on the upper level, and that's more important than knowing what she does in that laboratory. And Triss is like, oh, you were trying to get up there, but probably not to spy, right? And she says, no, I thought it would be more expedient if Janine didn't survive much longer. So, Tori was going to kill Janine. Yep, because when you're in an uprising and you need an assassin, you go straight to the tattoo parlor and you recruit there. Like, wh- wh- whoever assigned her this mission, I don't. And then Tori says, okay, well, I'll work on calling that meeting. She's got a broken leg. She's been shot in the leg and she's holed up in. I guess a hospital wing, even though I don't know if they have that because they just did open bloody heart surgery on Shauna downstairs in the lobby. Okay, so then we, okay, we cut to, it's almost over. We're gathered at this meeting of the Dauntless. I don't know how Tori did it, but she managed to pull all like what, 12 Dauntless people into the same room, crazy. And so Tori, she gathers everyone and she says, what were the terms talking about Jack's meeting? I guess the Dauntless who was with Jack He's just keeping quiet, he's like, "Oh, I, I was there, but I guess we had eavesdroppers under the bridge, so I'll let them tell the story and so Tris says there were three: return Eric to the erudite, report the names of all people who did not get shot with the needles last time, and deliver the divergent to erudite headquarters and Tori's like, "Well, if Jack's making deals with the erudite, we can't stay here okay well he okay, he did not sign up to anything. Jack actually grabbed Max by the collar. And then the representative for the erudite got shot. So he's really not in a position to have been making deals with them. They're all acting like, yeah, he signed and notarized a contract there on that bridge. No, that's not how it ended. And then Tris gives us this weird out of place paragraph where she says, I think of the blood on Shauna's shirt and long for the amity orchards, the sound of the wind in the leaves, the feeling of bark beneath my hands. I never thought I would crave that place. Okay, me neither. Because you seemed to hate it when you were there, but now you're like craving the feel of bark. She's talking like Frodo and Sam at the end of the Lord of the Rings when they're climbing up Mount Doom and Frodo can't remember the Shire. And Sam's like, don't you remember, Mr. Frodo? The sound of trees, the smell of grass, the taste of strawberries. And Frodo's like, nah, I don't remember any of that shit because I'm wearing this ring.
0: Do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It'll be spring soon the orchards will be in blossom. And the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields. And eaten the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Oh, Sam,
1: I can't recall the taste of food. Uh, Sound of water. Uh, Touch of grass. She's talking like she's never seen a tree before. Or she'll never see a tree again. Oh, I long for the amity and the trees and the touch of bark. Shut the fuck up. Since when? Since when? She's never admired nature. Never. Not ever single, ever, ever once. And now all of a sudden she's like, Oh, I miss the trees. Bullshit. Bullshit. I don't like when she changes up all the characterizations for us. You've established Tris as this character who hates mirrors, loves being selfless, loves being brave, but she's conflicted about the two. And now all of a sudden she's a a bloody tree hugger. I'm getting whiplash, whiplash. Anyway, so Tobias says, all right, well, how about we go back home? We go back to the Dauntless and take back what's ours. We break the security cameras in Dauntless headquarters so the erudite can't see us. Oh, brilliant. That's just what I said like three weeks ago. Remember they brought that up to us being like, oh, we can't go back to the Dauntless because there's too many security cameras that the Erudite can watch and none of them thought to maybe break the cameras. And now Four's like, oh, I got a brilliant idea. Let's break the cameras. And they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. That sounds like a cool idea. What the fuck? Oh, this is, oh, this is riling me up. And then Bud, who also worked in Tori's tattoo parlor, apparently, because... <sighs> When you're in a crisis, you look to your tattoo artists. That's what you do. He says, we need to decide what to do about Eric. Do we let him stay here with the erudite or do we execute him? And Lauren, she pipes up and she says, Eric is dauntless. That means we decide what happens to him, not candor. Okay, but he's actually erudite. Like, didn't he like reveal to us that he's actually erudite? He's been working for erudite this whole time. Tris figured out that he was erudite. I don't know if he's dauntless at all. And then Tory says, according to dauntless law <laughs> dauntless law, here we go. <laughs> I didn't know they had their own laws, according to dauntless law, only dauntless leaders can perform an execution. All five of our former leaders are dauntless traders <laughs> so I think it's time we pick new ones the law the law the law says we need more than one, and we need an odd number. If you've got suggestions, shout them out, and we'll vote if we need to okay, so According to the law, they need to nominate dauntless leaders in order to execute someone. But you're clearly changing the law through this little vote that you're doing right now. So why can't you just change the other laws? We have to abide by the law. So let's just pick five people amongst us and then they can create new laws. No, they'll just abide by the law. This is so stupid. So then someone shouts out, you, Tory. And she goes, okay. (laughs) Okay, that was easy. She accepted that one quick. I don't know if she's angling for a power grab. And then Marlene, classic Marlene, she calls out Tris and Tris is like, oh, oh, okay. And no one's shouting out their disagreement. And she's like, huh, okay, this is kind of nice. And then someone yells out, Harrison. Okay, okay, who the fuck's Harrison? Oh, no, no, this is the first we're hearing of a Harrison, right? If I'm wrong, let me know. But I, I swear we've never heard of Harrison. And she describes Harrison as a middle-aged man with a blonde ponytail, and nah, you can't trust him to be a leader. I'm sorry. Middle-aged with a ponytail? No way are you getting a leadership position. And then Tory says, well, I'll nominate four. And then there's a few angry murmurs in the back of the room, but no one disagrees, because no one's calling him a coward anymore, not after he beat up Marcus in the cafeteria. Oh, it did the trick. And she thinks, ah, oh, well, now four can get exactly what he intended unless I stand in his way. Why would she want to stand in his way? Does it not benefit her for the dauntless to align themselves with the factionless to overtake Erudite? Isn't that what she wants? And also it's your boyfriend. Wouldn't you want to support him in his leadership ambitions? I don't know why. What? Unless I stand in his way. Well, why would you? And then Tory says, we only need three leaders. We'll have to vote. What? I know you need an odd number, but... Just vote someone else in then And then you've got five. Harrison makes the cut. Tory Tobias, Tris, they all make the cut. And you just pull up Marlene or someone as a fifth number. She's like, oh no, we only need three. We only need three. We previously had five, but we only need three. So let's do a vote. And so then she has this whole little like <sighs> self-exploration. She goes on some sort of fucking journey in her head that I can't be bothered with right now. And she's like, I'm not dauntless. I'm divergent. I'm whatever I choose to be. And I can't choose to be this. I have to stay separate from the Dauntless in order to, I don't know, protect the Dauntless or some bullshit because she's special and she's divergent. Seeming to forget that Tobias is also divergent. She's conveniently ignoring that part of it. And she says, no, no, you don't have to vote. I refuse my nomination. She says, I don't want it, I'm sure. And then she says, and then without argument and without ceremony, Tobias is elected to be a leader of Dauntless and I am not. Okay. So it, is that what you wanted or is that not what you wanted? I'm, I'm really not clear here. And that's the end of the chapter. Ugh, What a frustrating chapter, but at least we finally got the eavesdropping scene that had been hyped up so much. Did it meet your expectations? Let me know. Send me an email. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram. Go over to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. Oh, I know you're already patrons. <laughs> Great. Okay. Oh God, I'm losing it. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Fuck me. I don't even know what day it is. All right. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breaking at gmail.com or on Twitter at pod down and Instagram at breaking bad books.